Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your children, as your adopted ones. We thank you for your grace and mercy and love that made it all possible, that you reached down to us despite our guilt, despite our unworthiness. And you went to the cross to do an unthinkable thing, to pay a price that you did not owe. We thank you so much, Father. Help us never take your grace and mercy for granted. It is truly beyond our grasp. And we ask that you open our eyes tonight more and more to understand that part of you, because it is you, as you are love. Father, we ask that you bless everyone in our congregation who is sick and struggling right now. You know their every need and their every pain. Uh, let them know that we're with them in spirit and we long to see them. And Father, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ coming down to earth to do what he did. Help us get to know him better and through him to know you better. We ask that you bless tonight's lesson. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Tell us what we need to know tonight. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 66. So on Sunday, the Spirit uh, asked us to elevate our thinking, if you remember, in the beginning of the lesson. Uh, in other words, why do we get caught up or stuck on something we don't fully understand? I mean, we all do it at times, right? You're going through something, you're learning something, and it just doesn't click, and maybe it even bothers you how certain things work together in God's plan. But we mustn't get stuck like that ever. You know, I think of um, the salt of the earth, older ladies I meet that are believers, been believers for years, and I meet a lot of older people in my work, and they just, their faith is so strong that it's like, I don't need to know. Yeah, I'm going through suffering, I'm going through sickness, my child's dying. I don't need to know why. I trust him. And it's that type of faith that permeates, it cuts through our lack of understanding. So we should never get stuck in that place where we don't, we don't put two and two together. Because faith overrides and gives us peace, as we're going to see tonight, regardless of the circumstances. So why don't we keep the big picture in mind about who God is? That came up on Sunday. Who God is as a whole. Why don't we keep that in mind at all times? That is where faith comes in, as Pastor taught in the recent blog. Will we choose to have faith and trust God despite our lack of understanding? See, we don't like to do that because we want to be in control. We want to know, and we want to know now. This doesn't make sense, Lord. You know, and we, we almost throw a hissy fit. I'm gonna, almost like my attitude. I want to quit. If, the, if you don't settle this in my soul, I, I, I'm thrown in the towel. Acting like a, a teenager. No offense. <laughs> but uh, we do. We act like sophomores, and where God's like, I thought, you know, I thought you, had, you trusted me. I thought you believe what the Word says about who I am. 
And God puts us in situations purposely where we don't have the answers so that we can have the opportunity to trust him without any reservations. So this has come up, this whole idea has come up regarding God's sovereignty and how we can at times allow ourselves to get confused or worse, even despairing at times in our soul because we let our minds run in all sorts of directions. We let it go off and go down a rabbit hole. Maybe we shouldn't go down. We start believing or, or remembering certain lies or certain religious things from the past that are wrong. And we start adding them into the pile and it causes confusion. Only the truth pulls us back to reality. And part of that truth is believe in him for who he is. It really is that simple. So it's only because we don't keep our thinking elevated, knowing who the Bible says God is as a whole person. That's the only reason we struggle. We lack faith. We, we get confused or uncomfortable when we don't know all the answers. In fact, as we learned on Sunday, God's sovereignty is always accompanied by his grace. He never like drops his grace on the side. It's who he is because grace is an expression of love and he is love. So God never changes. And that's, that's the anchor to our soul. Regardless of what we don't understand about his judgments or whatever might be going on, don't get caught up in that. I was thinking before service, you know how right now it's hard to understand the final judgment and the lake of fire and things like that. But when we see his glory, when we see him and we see his awesomeness and his truth and his grace and his love, when we see his person, we're going to be in total agreement with his judgments. Right now we can't see that because we don't see him fully and we don't see the depth of his truth and his grace and his righteousness. We don't see that fully. So that's why we have problems. But when we see him, <laughs> we're going to be so overwhelmed, we're immediately going to be in full agreement with whatever he decides is best. And the quest is for us to have that attitude now, that type of faith now. So again, his sovereignty is always accompanied by his grace. It's who God is. So on the board, let's just call it God's whole person. God's sovereignty, like every other facet of his character, never functions in the absence of grace. That came out on Sunday. He never drops one part of his character while operating in another. He is who he is. Exodus 3 tells us that. Exodus 33 tells us that. God is who he is. He doesn't change like man changes. And a big part of it is that he is love. That doesn't go anywhere when he has to operate in other attributes. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 3.14. Let's get a little reminder about who God is. And who God says he is. Exodus 3.14. Again on the board, God's whole person. God's sovereignty, like every other facet of his character, never functions in the absence of grace. He never drops one part of his character while operating in another. He is who he is. We'll do ourselves such a good service if we just accept the fact that God is who he is. And that he never changes. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Go to Exodus 33, 17. Exodus 33, 17. He is who he is. He's always existed. And he's never changed. Wrap your mind around that, right? But don't wrap your mind around that. Instead, just have faith. Exodus 33, 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Right there, by the way, you should see both sovereignty and grace. God says, I will. In other words, I will do what I think is best. I will. I'm the king. But I will be gracious. I will be compassionate. And that is my choice in the end because I know all things. So on the board, again, on God's whole person, God's telling us, learn about me and my perfect nature. And then you'll see how all the things of God fit together. Learn about me and my perfect nature. Big picture. Elevate our thinking, right? Learn about me. Learn about how I think. Learn about how I operate. That's still working? Okay. Learn about me, though. Like, like stop, stop um, trying to hone in on certain attributes and master them as though we can master them. Don't let things bog you down. Elevate your thinking. Learn about me as a whole. Never lose sight of me as a whole. And then all the details, they're not going to bother you when you don't understand because you're going to trust me because you know me. And you can't trust him unless you know him. So that's part of our journey, just coming to, you know, Bible class, right? Learning the word, reading our Bibles. Isn't it to get to know him, like as a person? And isn't that what sanctifies us, ultimately? So we mustn't do that thing to God where we separate part of him out from his whole person. And as we were instructed on Sunday, we shouldn't think of God's sovereignty in a vacuum. That's a big mistake. His grace functions hand in hand with his sovereignty at all times. So, for example, um, Pastor gave a few, you know, slightly different examples on Sunday, but it's gracious when God disciplines us at the proper time because he knows what's best for our overall good and for his glory in our lives, right? Is our, li is our individual life for our glory or for his glory? Obviously, we know it's for his glory. So whatever he deems best that brings him the most glory, we should want that to happen to us. We should want that destiny. You know, it might be to die at a young age. It might be to be, you know, unable, uh, handicapped or whatever at a young age. It might be to go through relationships that you never thought you'd go through or have to deal with. I have no idea, but if you're in that situation and God's allowed it, 
there's a destiny within that that he wants us to walk out through and bring him glory in it. Right? It's his life, not ours. So it's gracious for God to discipline us at the proper time because he knows what's best and what's best for his glory in our lives. It's gracious for God to allow us to reap what we sow so that even in our stubbornness, we learn the truth and eventually we're set free. And even suffering is ultimately gracious. It molds us into the very image of Christ. And it's all going to be worth it. So God's asking us to have that faith now instead of wait till we get to heaven and see him and see the obvious. When we get to heaven, it's going to be obvious. <laughs> when we see his glory and, and, and we see his love and his righteousness and this perfect combination of a perfect person, the truth is going to be obvious and accepted. He's like, do it now. Elevate your thinking. Right? Arnold Schwarzenegger, do it now. Elevate your thinking. You guys are like really quiet tonight. I was trying to loosen you up a little bit. But do it now. <laughs> Elevate your thinking. Come up here, God says. You know, think, think big picture that whatever I allow in your life is for ultimate good, regardless of the pain and the misunderstanding of it now. Peter spoke of God's sovereignty functioning hand-in-hand hand with His grace. Turn again to 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10. This is a really good example, and we're going to actually close with this verse somewhat later too. 1 Peter 5.10 is a good example of God's sovereignty functioning hand-in-hand hand with His grace. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you, this sovereign election, called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see suffering, we see grace, we see sovereignty. It's almost like God's got a plan. And he's a good God. So it's a, overall, it's a good plan, even when it hurts. Grace is ever-present in God's dealings with us because he is love. And as we know, grace is the expression of his love. The Spirit's reminded us, if we're thinking clearly or humbly, then we're overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy each and every day. So if we, you know, wake up and we, we, we pray and we, we ask God for some help, right? Some mornings are tougher than others, especially clearing your head out right, thinking correctly, saying a, a prayer, being appreciative and thankful. When we wake up, if we're, if we're not overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy to some degree, then our perspective's wrong. We, we're not looking at, God rightly or what he did for us. We're not hum being humble in that moment. But when we are humble in that moment, we're overwhelmed by his grace and mercy. And that's the place of joy and peace and freedom. That's what he wants for us, but that takes faith. As we also saw on Sunday, grace leaves us speechless. As in Psalm 8, 4, what is man that you take thought of him 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. It doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, human rationale-wise. What is man that you take thought of him and the Son of Man that you care for him? Grace should leave us speechless. You know, like, like you know how the Bible says, I forget what book it is, but the Spirit is paying, uh, praying for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever prayed and not know what to say and just groaned in a sense? Whether it was audibly or just in your soul, you groaned to God. And have you ever thought about that as a good prayer? Because it's humble. It's humbling yourself before Him. It's crying out for mercy. So uh, maybe we should allow God's grace to leave us speechless. But that takes getting to know Him and knowing His grace more and more. What you see here is a constant um, repetitive theme that's coming up, which is the attitude of the heart. What is the attitude of this man's heart in Psalm 8-4? It's one of humility. It's one of knowing he's nothing without God. And of course, that's what God's after. The more and more we understand and accept that God is always grace, the more we're going to be at a loss for words. And that's a good place to be in our relationship with God. That's a good place to be. Instead of thinking we have it all figured out or we need to figure it all out. So I want to just share with you a quick story um, because Pastor mentioned this concept on Sunday, uh, being at a loss for words. And on Sunday, as I was getting ready to come to church, I realized it was Communion Sunday, and the thought popped into my head, what would I say if pastor asked me to do communion today at the last minute? What would I get up there and say? And my first immediate thought was, there's so much I could say, but I don't know where I would start. And that's the concept. That's what his grace does to us. It's overwhelming, the magnitude of his grace and mercy. And that's why we're here learning and learning. That's what we want to see more of. And that's what sets us free. We don't have to have all the answers. We can trust that God has all the answers. And the more we learn of His grace by faith, the more we become speechless and in awe of His sheer mercy toward us. And the closer we draw to God, the closer we draw to God, isn't that what it's all about in this relationship? Isn't, isn't what we do, you know, about getting closer to Him personally? And therefore, it allows Him to sanctify us because we're being humble before Him. We're crying out for more mercy on a habitual basis. And He brings us there. Our role is, you know, call it what you want, but a daily surrender God wants us to draw closer to Him. We're not going to draw closer to Him unless we appreciate His mercy and grace more and more, which is tantamount to His love. So we're talking about, on the board, a greater grace. Only those who humble themselves will receive grace from God, including the grace to see the depths of His grace. James 4.6, Proverbs 11.2, Proverbs 22.4. 
I don't know about you, but I really want to see the depths of his grace. Like, I want to see the, um, I don't know what you call it, inner workings. I want to see how, how deep this well goes, uh, you know, despite my doubts, when I have times of doubt or questioning God or not being humble. Only those who humble themselves before God receive His grace, and that includes the grace to see the depths of His grace, to know Him that way. But in your pride, if you stay in the way, not walking by faith, then you'll suffer consequences and miss out on this. So that was one of the messages from Sunday. Go to Proverbs 11, verse 2. Let's see these two verses in Proverbs again. We know James 4, 6 quite well. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Even a greater grace. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. That includes wisdom about His grace. With the humble is wisdom. Go to Proverbs 22.4. That's a pretty neat verse to uh, remember. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. But don't just think of physical riches, honor, and life in this world. Think spiritual. Seeing Him, knowing Him. Knowing His grace gives us great joy. That's true life and true riches. Again, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And you have to trust Him to come through on that front. His Word says that. But you know what it does? It takes time. We don't like that. Right? We want to see the results of our humility now. We want to see the results of God's promises now. But He's taking you there the slow way. In other words, He's building a real foundation. It takes time if you're going to build a real foundation, right? If you're going to build a house with a really solid foundation, that takes time and effort. If you're going to do a quick, cheesy foundation, so you're building falls like at the first hurricane, then you get what you get. So God's saying, listen, I have to place bricks in your soul. You're, you're a mess. <laughs> you're all shaky. Your building is all shaky. I've got to do this slowly for you. If I do too fast, I'll kill you. You want to quit. So we don't like that this takes time, but this is what happens. This is the result. It's an inevitable result from a God who cannot lie. So enjoy that verse and that promise. But be patient. On the board, a greater grace. To not lose sight of His grace ever, that's God's grace being multiplied in our souls. That's a greater grace. That He gives you more grace so that you never lose sight of His grace, regardless of the circumstances or the sovereignty or whatever you might be struggling with, you never lose sight of His grace. That's the anchor to your soul. He's the anchor to your soul. Go to Romans 12.1. Romans 
By faith we take one day at a time. By faith. By faith we can say, Lord, I don't need all the answers. I don't even want them. I just want to trust you. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, notice, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself or himself than he ought to think. In other words, be humble. But to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. As the Spirit gave us on Sunday, on the board, regarding the God of grace, to understand the depths of grace is to understand God himself. To understand the depths of grace, one of the main reasons we're here, right now tonight, learning God's word. To understand the depths of grace is to understand God himself. So we're not here to question God. We're here to praise him for the fact that even though we are who we are, born in sin, even thought about coming to save us. We're not here to question God. We're here to praise Him for just that alone. If you don't get anything else in the other plan, in, in God's plan, if you don't understand anything else about God's plan, but you understand that He came to save you, that should be enough to praise Him. Should it not? And we're here to accept what He deems as best and necessary for our lives regardless of what sight tells us. In other words, don't listen to your flesh. Your flesh is lying to you and whispering to you every single day. But the Bible says, just trust Him. Accept what you don't understand. Accept what He asks you to go through. You don't need to know all the answers. So says the sovereign God of the universe, who's the potter and we're the clay. You don't need to know the answers. But I promise if you cry out for mercy, if you humble yourself before me, I'll exalt you at the proper time. Once again, the proper time. Again, from the Gift of Faith blog, we need to accept what we are given. For starters, we have the immutability and veracity of the Word of God, establishing that God alone has the keys to salvation. That's what we've been talking about lately with sovereignty and election. We need to accept what we're given. As Pastor put it on Sunday, if God sets the boundaries for election and free will, then we need to accept them at face value. Just as we also need to accept what God has us in our lives right now. And this is kind of a little tangent, I guess, that the Spirit wanted me to go into. And why do we need to accept these things? Why do we need to accept at face value at times without understanding certain things? Because God sees everything all at once. Just try to think about that. Just try to 
Picture that. God sees everything at once. He not only knows everything, He knows everything at one time. So, knowing He's also love and He's also good, we should have no problem trusting Him for whatever He thinks is best. We're going to see that coming up a little bit later. But that should trump any human rationale that we might be toying with in our souls. Pastor shared uh, DJ's excitement about this verse on the board after reading the blog. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That should sound familiar to the verse we just read in Proverbs 22 as well, and Exodus 3. But how about believing that He is? Without filling in the rest of the sentence, without having to fill in all the blanks, how about just believing that He is the great I Am who existed all the time? But if we listen to our flesh, which pushes for all the right answers right now, then guess what we're lacking? The very thing that pleases God. Faith. So we got to be careful when we start pushing for all the answers and get um, agitated in our souls or, uh, I don't know, even uncomfortable in our spiritual rest, right? We shouldn't ever get that way. If we listen to the flesh, pushing for all the answers right now, we're lacking the very thing that pleases God, according to Hebrews 11.6, which is faith. And that's the very thing that gives us His peace, no matter what. Faith. Like I said earlier, the old, seasoned, strong believer who's going through suffering and is maybe losing their child or something to that effect, and says, it's in His hands. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. As also came out on Sunday regarding faith and peace. Faith takes God at His word. And the man of faith doesn't lose his peace because his fleshly mind can't reconcile everything. Do you lose your peace when you can't reconcile everything? Do you get kind of, you know, whatever, all torn up in your soul? And there's nothing wrong with, you know, questioning and wanting to understand something and maybe asking somebody. Nothing wrong with that at all. Somebody in the faith to, to see how they look at it. Again, perspective is everything, really. But it is wrong if we lose our peace in the process. Again, faith takes God at His word. And the man of faith doesn't lose his peace because his fleshly mind can't reconcile everything. It's almost like what happens in our souls when we take ourselves too seriously. Have you ever taken yourself too seriously? Hidden therein is a reliance on the flesh and the incessant desire to figure it all out and be in control. That's our problem. That's our big problem in terms of getting in the way instead of operating in faith, trusting God. And that's a lie. So again, the gift of faith. We need to accept what we are given. 
For starters, we have the immutability and veracity of the Word of God, establishing that God alone has the keys to salvation. Accept that by faith. Is there free will? Does that exist? Yes. Are we told to believe, to be saved? Yep. But we're also told that God alone has the keys to salvation, and only He can give faith. So why not just accept what we're given? with gratitude, that He is who He is. So we're to accept what we're given in the Word of God, and we're also to accept what we're given in life, in our individual lives. An example of this type of humility came up in my own Bible reading with an Old Testament priest named Eli. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. Eli was an Old Testament priest, and he was bringing up the boy, Samuel, in the faith to be a prophet of God. So Samuel was still a boy. But Eli, just to give you a little background before we read this, Eli was disobedient in the correction of his own two sons, who were also priests but we're doing ungodly things in the ministry. And Eli ignored it, basically. So here's what happened in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. Then the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. He said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he, Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now Eli just got told about divine discipline upon him and his household. And what was his humble, righteous response? It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He was facing judgment, but he had the right attitude, the humble attitude, because he is the Lord, isn't he? Can he not and should he not do what he wants and what he sees is right? And that takes faith and humility. Regardless of what sovereign decisions God thinks is best. 
we never lose sight of His grace and putting ourselves in God's hands, as Eli basically did. Like, huh, all right, it's the Lord. Let Him do what seems best to Him, what seems good to Him. It's like David when he faced the discipline of God for his sin of numbering the people. Um, turn to, uh, hold your place, by the way. Turn to 2 Samuel 24. You're in 1 Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel 24, verse 10. David faced discipline from God for his sin of numbering the people. And when he was given a choice, he chose to be disciplined by the hand of God instead of being put into the hands of men. Why? Because even though it was a sovereign judgment David had to endure, he knew God's grace. He knew God's grace never left him. He's like, I'd rather be in the hands of your judgment, Lord, because I know you're gracious and merciful than be in the hands of men. If that's my choice, I'll take you every day because I know you. And I know you have to do the right thing, kind of like Eli said, right? Whatever's good to you, Lord. But I'd rather be in your hands because I, ultimately I know your person. So 2 Samuel 24:10. Now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David. Thus, says, uh, thus the Lord says, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of men. So David chose the pestilence. Like, Lord, do what you think is right, because I know you're merciful in the end. That's where God wants us all to be, to know him that way. So let's make this personal for a minute. Go back to uh, 1 Samuel 3.18. 1 Samuel 3.18. So Samuel said to Eli, or told Eli everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So let's make this personal for a minute. Are you struggling to see things clearly in your life? How about saying what Eli said? It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Let him show me what he wants to show me and keep secret what I don't need to know right now. Are you struggling with the suffering that God has allowed in your life? It could be physical, mental, emotional, 
very personal. No one maybe even knows about it. Are you struggling with that? How about a humble response like Eli's in verse 18? Look at it again. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. In the face of judgment, Eli said that. And so how can we ask for anything more than being saved? How can we be upset with God or question God or doubt God after what he did for us through the cross? Eli fell back on the essence of God. And so can we. He was basically saying, it is the Lord who is just and loving and knows all things at once. I accept whatever he decides is best because he is the Lord. How can I question him? How can I doubt him? How can I say it's unjust? I can't. And I know he's merciful. The more we grow to know God and his very essence through the word, the more we keep our peace even when we don't understand everything because we know him. We know who God is. And that's why there's no other way to approach God except in humility. There's no other right way to approach God except in humility because of who he is. As Pastor said on Sunday, he gave us some divine perspective on the board. When we realize the immensity of who he is, our only option is to prostrate ourselves and pray for mercy. What did, what did every person who ever saw God in the Old Testament or a version of God, what did they do? Every person, at least I can think of, they fell flat in their face. They prostrated, they fell flat in their face. They couldn't even bear to look at him. He was so glorious. And that is what, when we see God, when we see his grace, when we see the immensity of his grace, that should be our attitude of our heart. This not only includes at the moment of salvation, by the way, this point on the board, but also throughout our daily lives because that leads us to sanctification. This is a healthy and true pattern throughout the Word of God. So, shifting gears a bit, as we come to know God for who He is, the Spirit also reminded us on Sunday that it is God alone that has the sovereign right to define terms, to define what certain things really mean, like good and repentance and even love. So on the board, who gets to define love? 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. It makes sense the one that gets to define love is the one who, who is love, actually is love. And love is good. When the Word of God defines love, it is defining God Himself. Elevate our thinking, right? When the Word of God defines love, it's defining God Himself. In our world today, love is selfish as we know. It's often about what can somebody do for me. And if people see a personal gain possible, they will love them, but it's really not love at all. God loves the unlovely, remember. Just look in the mirror. God loves the unlovely. 
God helps the helpless remember. You know, the ones who humbly turn to him for mercy and can't pay him back. They're totally helpless, like the orphans, like the widows who are in distress. That's God's amazing supernatural love. And that, my friends, is who he is. That's what God's trying to tell us. Rely on, get to know, first of all, and rely on who I am. And then that cuts through. Faith cuts through all the details and having all the answers. Cuts right through it. We don't even need all the answers to be at peace anymore. Because we know Him. We have faith in Him. And that pleases God. So, grace has also been perverted in our world. Grace being an extension of love. And this is a main point that keeps coming up so that we don't, um, or, or rather we make a point to distinguish between God's ways and man's on the board. In other words, don't let it be clouded up in your soul as though they're, you know, they're kind of similar. No. God's grace. God's grace is not man's. Man defines graciousness along the same vein as tolerance and political correctness. For example, it's wrong to be offensive or to make somebody stumble, even if it's over truth. God defines grace as providing a way to salvation, regardless if it's disagreeable to human sensibilities. So the world is just all, you know, caught up. I was watching something on the news tonight about dodgeball, and how they want to, like, outlaw dodgeball because it's uh, enabling bullying or something to that effect. It is so out of control now. And that, that's, that's man's definition of grace. It's so out of control now, and it's, it's perverted, and it's twisted, and it's totally off, off the wrong, on the wrong playing field, right? Not on the right playing field about really important things like salvation. Again, at the end here, God defines grace as providing a way to salvation regardless if it's disagreeable to human sensibilities. If you don't tell somebody the truth, what, what good is it? You know, I was thinking about certain people that I've evangelized to in the past, and I've said, do you, do you want me to tell you the truth or not? I mean, do you want me to lie to you so that you can hear what you want to hear, so that you're not, whatever, offended or faced with a decision? Do you really want me to lie to you, or do you want me to tell you the truth? You know, and that's what love does. That's God's love, not their version. So this is why even God's sovereign judgments are an act of grace. As a pastor brought up a couple times, God is willing to clothesline man before he runs off the cliff into the lake of fire. That's love. He's willing to do whatever he can do to get somebody's attention, even if it involves pain and suffering, because he knows where they're going by their own choice. He's also willing to clothesline us every day, every day that we're arrogant, to save us from the thorny wall that we're about to run into, get tangled up in. God's discipline from a loving father is grace for his children. And it's not until the children grow up that they see the father's love and wisdom, right? So why don't we Grow up now. Why don't we elevate our thinking now? It's 
instead of having to have all the answers. Let's stop being stuck in our own pride and choose to learn about Him and His whole person in humility and accept Him by faith. Let's choose to accept whatever He has for us. Like Eli said, it is the Lord. Let Him do what seems good to Him. Eli was probably bracing for judgment, right? You know when you're about to get hit and you like kind of, you know, get ready, brace yourself? He was probably doing that because he just got the message from God twice that he and his house were going to be disciplined. Yet he still said that in humility because he knew God. So let's run away from sin as well instead of accepting it as no big deal in our lives, as the deception that it is leading us away from this peace that we can have by faith in Him. Again, on the board, the simple definition for sin. Sin is any lack of conformity to God's will, whether expressed actively or passively. And the major emphasis in this series has been on its deceitfulness, on its trickiness. And we've been lied to our whole lives. Remember that, people. Like, we... We want to be sanctified like this, right? We don't want to have to go through any pain or suffering or any discomfort or any uh, uncomfortable relationships or whatever. We want God to sanctify us like this. Well, how does he do that if we have this pile of garbage in our soul and he, he allows our free will to hold on to it or to drop it? So he graciously teaches us one thing at a time to drop and gets us down to the promised land eventually. But it takes time. It's a process. Go again to 1 Peter 5. Uh, go to 1 Peter 5, 5. We'll see how far we can get. I don't think I'm going to finish up, but whatever God wants us to see. First Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your what? Faith, right? There it is again. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And here's where we started and where we're going to branch off from as we begin to close. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So once again, God's grace is inseparable from his sovereignty. And we must cling to his grace if we want to know more of his grace. And we want to see how his grace works seamlessly with things like sovereignty. That should be part of our desire in getting to know Him. On the board, it says in Job 5.11 in the ESV, He sets on high those who are lowly, 
and those who mourn are lifted to safety. And that includes safety in our souls. God's sovereignty and grace go hand in hand. And that's part of the mystery of God that we need to embrace by faith. So this verse in 1 Peter 5.10 prompted me to look up some other scriptures that might reveal the togetherness and the unity of the sovereignty and grace of God. So that's what we'll do here as we close. Uh, turn in your Bibles to John 17.22. John 17, 22. So as we travel through these scriptures, I'm not going to say much, but look for both of these attributes of God in these passages. And you may not see the key words, but look for the concepts of sovereignty and grace. John 17, 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Go to Acts 2, verse 37. Acts 2, 37. Again, think of the unity, if you will, or the togetherness of sovereignty and grace in these passages. Acts 2.37 Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. On the board regarding sovereignty and grace, Galatians 1.15, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. That's what Paul said. That's elevating your thinking. Look at that verse again. When God, make this personal. When's the last time you thought like this about God's plan for you? You, God's plan for you. Why you were born, why you're here, why you're still with us. When's the last time you thought this way about God's plan for you personally? But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. It should be that personal. Go to Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Jeez, I thought these were in order. Let's see here. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proving character, and proving character, hope. And hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Go to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, he also glorified. On the board, regarding his sovereignty and grace, Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you see his sovereignty and grace in these passages? Go to one more passage in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Actually, two more, but in the same book. So it's kind of like one more. Not really. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the board, again regarding sovereignty and grace, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, get to know him, his whole person, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and giving us all the wisdom we need and giving us Your Spirit to help us understand what we need to know in this day. We ask, Father, that you give us more faith, more trust in who you are as a whole person. Help us not get bogged down in details or ever get disturbed in our soul because we know who you are, the merciful God that you are, and you never, never lose that. You never put that aside, and we thank you so much that you're so consistent, that you never change. We ask, Father, that you stabilize our hearts in this way and help us accept whatever you have for us. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray.
by the power of your spirit. Amen.